Hey everybody, this is Sam, that girl with the curls, bringing you another amazing episode of the podcast, um, which uh, uh, is basically part for the course because I've yet to have a really cruddy one, at least on my end. Um, those of you who listen regularly might have a different opinion, but I enjoy pretty much everything about my episodes, um, which, you know, I'm biased, so whatever can't really trust my opinion on that one. Anyway, uh, this is episode 98 with Sarah Gatos, who is one of the editors over at IDW Publishing in San Diego. And uh, yeah, we we basically follow each other on Twitter. We, you know, we, as in the royal we, I, uh, contacted her to see if she would like to come on the show. And that was pretty much it. Uh, we talk about uh, a lot of the properties that uh, IDW handles. Uh, she's huge in a Star Trek, which we didn't get into a lot, which makes me feel like we should if ever she comes back on the show or I see her in real life. Uh, so we, we do talk about some of the properties. I make some flubs. Um, probably in the last three or four episodes, I was still in the weird phase of recovering from a cold. So not that it's an excuse, but just that, you know, my brain weren't as sharp as it should have been, at least in, in my opinion. Uh, so yeah, there's a, a mistaken identity of what book is actually put out by IDW versus Valiant, which you will hear about. And also it took it actually never came back around, but we were trying to think of the Frighteners. So when it gets to that point, and you'll know what point it is, and uh, we're struggling to figure out what uh, movie to talk about, just know that it's the Frighteners. Or if you skip the intro and you get there, uh, which, how would you know what I'm saying here? Uh, you'll probably be yelling at the podcast. So just to give you a heads up, I'm aware. I'm aware. Uh, but no, it was great, uh, fun talking to Sarah and getting her insights as an editor in, uh, one of the bigger publishing companies. Um, yeah, so she was great to talk to. Hope to talk to her again at some point in the future, um, or in real life, not just over Skype. But uh, I hope you guys enjoy, as much as I did, talking to Sarah Gatos on episode 98 of That Girl with the Curls. shut my window just because of like okay when your studio is essentially your room it's it's hard to get like really good non-background noise it's really hot here so yeah it's only gonna get warmer it's almost like the climate is changing no yeah like it's the globe now hear me out is getting warmer <laughs> when, when nuclear winter happens, it'll be fine. It'll prove us all wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how are you doing, Sarah? Uh, I'm doing okay, except for being very hot. And our air conditioner is only in our living room. And then our bedroom fan, it got so hot that it melted yesterday. Oh my god. So, that's a thing. I didn't know happens, yeah. San Diego is not good at 
hot weather. We never have been. We never will be. <laughs> I see. Yeah. I, um, so the last time I was in San Diego was a few years back for an archives conference. And, and it was August, and I was expecting it to be, like, super hot. But it was, like, 75, like, the most of it. Uh, yeah. And I was there for, like, a week. And I was like, if it was always like this, I could totally see living here, like, full time. Yeah. And then it gets above 80, and no one has real air conditioning, and that's mm-hmm. when things all fall apart. Yeah. No, Washington is, is uh, not exactly similar, but it's like we... We get, like, a few hot days, really, in the summer, and then everyone's freaking out, because, like, it's so hot, it's so hot, and they all buy air conditioners, and then, basically, we go back into the regular season, which is just rain and clouds and gray, and there's no need for an air conditioner, and you've just spent a lot of money on a thing you don't need. (laughs) Yeah, good times. Oh, it's so great. I love it. (laughs) Uh, but do you need to, uh, do you need to do anything, like get a drink or go to the bathroom before we start? Oh, I think I'm good. Okay, good. Uh, I've, I've already started recording, so no worries about that, but as a, uh, as a kind of formal introduction, uh, Sarah Gatos, welcome to That Girl with the Curls. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Excellent. And uh, did I pronounce your last name right? You did. Excellent. Okay. You never know. (laughs) At, At this point, you never know. Thank you for asking. <laughs> uh, and so I've, I've started doing this uh, little origin story thing at the top where it's like, how did this come to be? And it mostly had to do with a, uh, a ghost in the IDW uh, publishing uh, uh, office, wasn't it? Spooky ghost, yes. Uh, the IDW offices are located at Liberty Station in San Diego, mm-hmm. which was, I believe, the naval base for World War II. Mm. Um, so we were actually in the first two bunkers that they ever built. So literally the offices are where, um, they would sleep and, you know, eat and all that good stuff. So theoretically, at least one of the offices are haunted and people say that they hear, um, typing, like on an old timey typewriter now and then. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm a little bit, I don't, yeah, I'm not really willing to test out the theory if there's ghosts or not. Uh, so I am a little bit freaked out to be there alone at the times, but yeah. so far so good. Yeah, so uh, I have a, a long-standing issue with um, uh, like, I, I tend to not believe in ghosts. I'm not a, I'm not a big believer in that, and I've had numerous people tell me, like, their, their stories and everything. Like, I get it, but here's my thing. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But uh, my dad's wife really loves the ghost adventures one, where it's like the bros who are yelling at ghosts. Yes. <laughs> and, I love them. And, and honestly, I don't believe that my coworkers are lying. I just really don't ever want to know one way or the other, because I would probably cry and run away. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. I my my thing is always like you know my my theory or my hypothetical situation is always let's say for all intents and purposes, I believe in ghosts. The one thing I don't want to do is make them mad at me. So why do I go around every room yelling at them? Exactly. If, if the ghost is there, mm-hmm. I'll get some cookies for him, like Santa Claus or something like that. For sure. We'll just have a nice little understanding between the two of us. Yeah, I mean, you can have a cohabitational situation with your ghost. It doesn't exactly. have to be antagonistic. Exactly. So that's the best case scenario I can there you go. Like, yeah, every time that show is on, I'm just kind of like, guys, 
there's a better way to do this. You don't have to yell at the spirits. But probably not as entertaining. Probably, yeah. Like, I'll, I'll just stick to, what, what was the movie? Um, oh, it was Peter Jackson's movie, Michael J. Fox. Oh, I, uh, what was the name of that? Uh, like, I have uh, it. And, uh, shoot. Well, there you go. Someone will just correct me at some point, or it'll pop into my head later on down the, down the line on this thing. So. Five hours from now, you'll remember. Yeah, exactly. Or I'll just, late in the evening, I'll text you and be like, ah, it was this! Now it's, uh, it's gonna kill me now. Damn it. All right. Moving on. <laughs> um, but the, the whole thing with the, with the ghost stories, cause, uh, I, fo- I followed you on Twitter and you mentioned that and I was like, why isn't this a story that IDW is publishing? And you responded with like, oh, I'm working on it. And I think from there it was basically like, okay, now, now we should be friends. <laughs> so. Well, IDW definitely has a history of doing horror comics mm-hmm. and stuff. So, you know, and we were talking about it, and one person had a theory, and I was like, well, if he's typing, maybe he was the requisitions officer, and he's typing up, you know, like, I need 25 cots or something. Uh-huh. And I was at work, and they went way dark with it, and they were like, no, he's typing up the letters to the families to inform them about their dead loved ones. Oh, and I no. went, oh, I am never staying here alone ever again. <laughs> oh, no. So all they need to do is, like, plant that thought in your head, and then you're just like, nope, that's it. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like... I have to stay late at work uh, or go in on the weekends. Be terrified of a ghost. Exactly. I so, mean, it might motivate you to get your work done faster. Eh, I don't know about that. Let's not go too far. But... <laughs> okay. My apologies. <laughs> so you always got to stick with what's natural to you is just procrastination and laziness. Definitely. And why work at work when you can work at home with, like, a cat in your pajamas? Mm-hmm. So. No, I, I totally uh, concur with that. Uh, every once in a while I get to actually work from home for my job, which is mostly, mostly a very physical one. Uh, in archives, they don't l- really tell you that, hey, a lot of your job consists of lifting things that are, like, over 40 pounds. <laughs> and so uh, every once in a while I get to do some... Uh, data entry from home, and it's just like, oh, this is nice. It's boring, but it's nice. Yeah, great time. <laughs> so, then, uh, how did you uh, get involved with IDW? What led Sarah to the wondrous and illustrious life of editing uh, comic books? Yes, it's a very glamorous life, I have mm-hmm. to tell you. Yes, and yes. Lots of and drinking, and we have emails. Um, <laughs> let's see, so, about 11 years ago, uh, I got out of college, and um, I had an inkling that I wanted to be in publishing, but I figured I'd have to move to New York, uh, and I didn't really know how I felt about that. Uh-huh. Um, so I was just looking for a job, and I worked my way through college being a secretary and receptionist and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, uh, Wildstorm, uh, which at the time was already bought by DC, was looking for a receptionist. And I went, aha, I like comics. I'm a receptionist. I can do this. So I applied and got the interview and told them in the interview, you know, here are my qualifications, but also I'd love to be an editorial someday. And they went, yeah, yeah, right. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, and I sure showed them. No, uh, no, it was great. Uh, so I did get the job, obviously, and um, quickly just started kind of absorbing what I could and showed them that I knew 
what I was doing, and I wasn't a psychopath. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was great because, you know, it was a small studio. It was uh, Jim Lee's studio. And so uh, in one building, there was amazing editorial people. Mm -hmm. There were on-site colorists. There were artists working in the studio, pencilers and inkers. And then um, production artists as well. So basically, I would be able to see the entire life of a comic book uh, happening in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. So I call it, it was like being in comic book college almost. Yeah. Is was able to be taught by some of the best people in the in the industry in this incredibly supportive environment. Um, and it was wonderful. Uh, so I was there and then eventually Wildstorm was shut down and they offered um, me a job in Los Angeles, which I took. Mm-hmm. Um we all moved up to L.A. to the big fancy offices in Burbank. Um, and that's where I decided that that entire time I had been, by that time, um, an executive assistant to a senior vice president while also doing editorial duties. Mm-hmm. And I made the jump from doing that administrative work just to an uh, assistant editor. And so um, I did that for a couple of years. Uh, and I was thankful for the opportunity to come to LA, but I really miss San Diego. It's my home. Yeah. Um, so when IDW was hiring for an editor, I went, oh, I can do that. Uh, and so um, applied and had a lot of nice meetings, and I've been with IDW ever since. Nice. Which is like, three or four years at this point. I mean, and and like what you were saying with uh, being at Wildstorm, you know, you it seems like that's an incredibly rare experience to be amongst, like, the creation of a comic practically on site. Uh, yeah. because yeah, I... No, go ahead. Yeah, especially these days. I think maybe back in the day, um, there was a little bit more of that around. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, thanks to the internet, um, most of it is done all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really nice, because I was just able to kind of absorb all of it uh, and, you know, ask annoying questions, <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. But, you know, I feel incredibly lucky that I got to uh, have that experience. Were there, um, uh, were there any particular books that you worked on at Wildstorm that you were, you were proud to be able to, like, see from conception to, to creation and everything? Or was it mostly you were kind of more on the sidelines at that point? Uh, at that point, um, you know, I was basically assistant editing what anybody needed me to mm-hmm. or helping out with. Um, so the first books I ever worked on were the World of Warcraft. Nice. Comics. Um, so uh, it really helped me out in becoming well-versed in licensed comics because Blizzard is a, uh, you know, this big company with a deep amount of lore, mm-hmm. um, demanding, but in, in, the, in the standard of quality, not like demanding people. Yeah. Uh, so the first people I ever got to work with were uh, Walt and Weezy Simonson, who are wonderful people, um, and you can't get much cooler than that in comics. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty ideal situation. And then by the time I left, I was um, editing a lot of those books solo, and then I also edited the wonderful um, Little Gotham, uh, the Dustin Nguyen, Derek Friedoff's book. Oh, I love those. Um, those were so cool. I love them so much. So, so um, walking away from those books were really, really hard, but I enjoyed the time I had on them. Um, it's really nice when you're working with 
people who are so talented and then are also such great people. Yeah, no, I had... Yeah, no, I got Dustin to do a, a, a Damien Wayne for me in one of, in one of the sketchbooks that I take around to a con. So that was kind of that was that was a special moment for me. Yeah, he did like he did head portraits of everyone that worked on the book. So I have my little Dustin Nguyen version of me framed in my office. Aww. and he did really great bat cow. I really loved the bat cow. <laughs> um, so we have the bat cow together. I have that hanging too so yeah basically yeah basically any bat animal i think would just be adorable no matter what if dustin drew it so yeah dustin could probably draw a spider and make it adorable oh man Uh, let's not let's not test that theory though yeah let's not uh so yeah so you got uh you had you had um experience then with licensed uh properties then because IDW up until I mean maybe a few years ago was more exclusively um, licensed properties for comics, wasn't it? It's really mixed. I mean, some of the original things that IDW has ever done were basically creator owned or uh, original IP, like Thirty Days of Night, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie was made off of the book from IDW. Yeah. Um, some of the earliest licensed comics, like they did CSI comics back in the day. Mm. Uh, so there's always been a strong uh, tradition of uh, original IP and creator-owned at IDW, but I would say they're certainly, um, with the exception of Lock and Key, more well-known for their licensed comics, mm-hmm. um, which while there's a lot of, you know, obviously similar things about working in original IP and licensed comics, working in licensed comics is an entirely different ballgame. There's a whole level of... I guess bureaucracy, for lack of a better word, for that sure. goes on. Um, simply because, you know, IDW does not own Star Wars or Star Trek or Transformers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we license it and partner with the companies that do. Um, so you're, you're the liaison, you're the quality control, um, you are the champion of the artist and the writer, and you're also kind of the champion and protector of the IP. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole different level of of work going on on top of regular comic book production. Yeah, and I mean, just to, to give people an idea of, like, all, like, uh, I mean, I'm looking at your website right now, the IDW Publishing, and it's just, like, you've got Disney, you've got Star Wars, you've got X-Files, Ghostbusters, uh, was it Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like, just these these IPs that are, are really strong and very familiar to a lot of people. Um, I, I'm especially, uh, cause I read the, the first issue of Clue, which I was just so happy with. <laughs> and Clue's a really good example of a licensed book because, you know, I think licensed books, um, for a while had really, um, tarnished reputation because a lot of times they were, they were basically just an ad with some comics attached to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but Clue's a really good example or, um. Transformers versus G.I. Joe by Tom Scioli, mm-hmm. or in a lot of ways the Star Trek books, of what happens when you work with licensors long enough that you build up a lot of trust to where you can kind of get a little weird with it. Um, yeah. If you're not reading the Clue book, it's really, really good. And it's basically a reimagining of Clue in, in the modern times. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's totally fourth wall breaking. Um, they're getting really creative and just having fun. Um, in ways that only kind of comic books allow you to have. 
exactly. Well, and even just it's it's so it's it's very modern, but it still very much feels like it's in the spirit of the movie itself. Totally, totally. Yeah, like um, my, so. so- it's really, really great when, like, all those things converge and you can make something that honors the property but also kind of brings it into a completely new uh, realm and a completely new light um, in a way that, that only comics can. No, exactly. I mean, and you guys also did uh, Quantum and Woody, which is uh, uh, James Asmus, who was the writer on that, is a friend of mine. And, like, when I started reading that, because... I always feel like with IDW, at least a lot of the books that I pick up seem to have a sense of humor to them that I don't always find everywhere else. Um, I'm not sure if that's just how you choose your writers or if it's just, you know, indicative of the scripts that just kind of come out at that point. Well, I will say um, it's one of those things where you have to take a look at every different product and see what fits for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but humor, I mean, I wouldn't say everything has to be fun. We do have some very serious and heartfelt books like Lock and Key. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we choose to work with somebody, um, it's because there is a level of fun and love that's going to come through the book no matter what. Yeah. Um, and it's actually Valiant that, that did Quantum and Woody. But Oh, um, oh the, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's funny that you mention it because James Asmus is now writing some My Little Pony for us. There we go. So that's where you like you might see someone else working in like a completely different realm maybe like it's a super serious superhero book or like something really dark or crazy but you're like you know that person really caught my attention mm-hmm. I wonder if they like My Little Pony you know what I mean <laughs> just like throw out ideas like that and mm-hmm. a lot of times it's like I love it or oh my god my kids love that or oh my god I grew up watching Transformers this is a dream job mm-hmm so working on these big licenses is a way that some of these creators um, can kind of like align themselves and play in the sandbox of these big giant brands that, that generally they have some affinity for. I'm sure there are people working that are like, ah, I can take or leave it. But a lot of times we end up working with people that really have a lot of love for whatever property that, that we've hired them to work on. Well, for sure. Yeah. And again, I apologize. I'm sorry I mixed it all up. No worries. Um, yeah, that's a really fun book, though. But yeah, you're right. It is super funny. Um, and James is super awesome. Yeah, like, yeah, every time I see him at the cons, I'm always just like, why aren't we talking more? And But he's got, you know, a family and everything, so it makes yeah. it a lot harder when you have babies running around. Why aren't you working on every book? Oh, my God. Yeah, no, yeah. There, there are some creators where, like, if you know, when you follow them on Twitter and they come up with these ideas for existing properties and you're like, why aren't you writing all the things? I would pay money to see you write this at this point. Yeah, it's, hard. it's hard because like, there are so many people like that though. And like, when you start working with someone you really love, you're like, let me put you on all of the books. And mm-hmm. then you're like, wait a second, there's all these other people that I want to put on all of the books. <laughs> um, so what we need to do is get more people reading comics so we can put all of the people on all of the books. Basically, I, I agree with this, and I will help in any way possible. <laughs> Excellent. I appreciate that. Awesome. All right, we have an accord. Let's go into yes. the night. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, um, it's it's interesting with, uh, yeah, with IDW and having these licensed properties, you know, uh, so how do you guys split up the editorial uh, duties? Like, do you work on particular properties, or is it just 
particular books in general? Like, how do you end up with the books you uh, edit versus, you know, other editors? Yeah, well, Star Trek is one of the things that we talked about in my actual interview. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they were looking for someone with an affinity for it. Um, Because the person that was editing at first, Scott Doombeer, is a very, very busy man. He does all of the artist edition books. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he used to be an art dealer and has this wonderful history um, of knowing where, like, every single page of every single comic is in the entire universe. Okay. Um, so so they were looking for someone to take over the Star Trek line from him. Um, and so TNG is, is, I'm a TNG baby. I really loved it growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to work on that was really great. Beyond that, I think you don't have to be, like, a super fan um, to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. It certainly helps on certain projects. Yeah. Uh, I would say Chris Guzman, who's editing all the Transformers comics, like, that's a special talent. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's not everyone. Fortunately, the internet exists, so there's wikis of things that you can look up and things like that. But with as much work as there is that goes on into one of these books, um, you do need to have a, a, a nice... Um, foundation of knowledge to be able to do it well mm-hmm. and quickly um and to everybody's satisfaction so you know when something new comes up uh, we just kind of kick around um who has an interest in it maybe they know someone who would be good for it um and sometimes you know you just get assigned it and you don't know anything about it and then you um you do the education mm-hmm. uh on time get up to speed so you know uh, the best way to bring the book into the world. And do you guys get, like, that, uh, a certain amount of time to familiarize yourself, especially if it's something, you know, that... Uh, uh, like 15 minutes. Um, 15 no, minutes, gotcha. <laughs> there's no time in comics. Um, a lot of times the, the negotiating the contract time takes so long mm-hmm. that by the time you actually get the okay to go, it's kind of like, go, 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 go. Yeah. Um, so there's ever enough development time but you try and do the best you can and and are you guys like always actively searching for new ips to uh to kind of fold in or i mean because i know that with uh, shelly bond and black crown is happening right now so that's a whole another imprint that's now a part of you yeah um i think you know the the bosses have to look and say all right how can we take our over publishing overall publishing schedule and make sure it's balanced in different areas. You know, if it were up to me, I would do like 10 Star Trek books a month. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe the market can't handle that um, or, you know, that's just too many. Um, so it's a balancing act and trying to listen to what the market wants and what retailers want since they are the ones who take on the initial financial burden. Mm-hmm. Um so it, it's definitely a balancing act. Uh, we do always look for a new IP, and a lot of the times it's something as simple as, hey, you guys like this thing? What do you think about this? Or, hey, I had um, this writer I love come to me with a really great idea for this, and then it just kind of begins a conversation. And one of the things I like about IDW is that um, it, it really is a conversation. If it's there's something that you love hell, they don't care if you just go and look and try and find the license holder yourself and just talk to them, see what kind of ideas that they have for the property or if it's available. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very collaborative in that way of, of just kind of always having eyes open on 
what's out there, what's new, uh, and what we can get. Do you feel that uh, IDW allows for a bit more, uh, I guess, experimentation then with with IP or with original properties? Uh, I think so. I mean, with with licensed stuff, it literally all has to do with what the, the actual rights holders are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a conversation that we have with them kind of right off the bat. Um, you know, uh, something you might not think about is what likenesses are available. So if you have um, an IP that's a movie that's older, but someone didn't do the contracts correctly back in the day, mm-hmm. maybe the entire idea then would have to kind of take a different shape if we can't draw the main character as the actor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of figuring out what they have in mind, uh, what their limitations are, and what their comfort level is, or, you know, if they if they have a big thing coming up that they want to push, like, say, it's a video game, and they know that they have a video game coming out next year, and they want a story, sometimes they want that story centered exactly around that one particular idea. Mm-hmm. So it's always just kind of a conversation um, between everybody. Was there, I mean, in the time that you've been uh, in editorial at IDW that, I guess, that you feel comfortable talking about, was there ever an IP that you really wanted but it just didn't work out, or uh, that there were just more complications than you my, thought there'd be? My way, yeah, my way well property is uh, the worst witch. Um, <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. Now it's actually a series on Netflix, um, which I'm excited to watch, mm-hmm. but it's a very popular series of books in the UK, and if you know it, you might know it from an 80s movie mm-hmm. starring uh, Fruzabalk and Tim Curry. Um, and the story is basically Harry Potter before there's Harry Potter, but it's a girl character, and she's a bit of a misfit, and she doesn't have a lot of self-confidence, mm-hmm. and it's kind of the story of her coming into her own as a young lady and also as a witch. Um, so I would love to do that. Uh, but at the same time, I'm so deeply in love with the 80s movie, mm-hmm. uh, I would kind of want to make it exactly in that aesthetic, and who knows? <laughs> I haven't been able to get it yet, but maybe they wouldn't want that. Maybe they would want like a fresher aesthetic, which would totally break my heart. Um, but yeah, that's my white whale. <laughs> <laughs> no, like... that, I mean, it's literally Star Trek, and I get to work on Star Trek, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got one thing that you love, and then there's that... Just always like your yeah, like you said, your white whale moment where you're like, it tasks me. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> well, especially who wouldn't Stop want it. to be able to do like uh you know something with Tim Curry involved in it in, in one way or the other. I mean, even for as a bulk, but it's like I think a lot of people who've seen that movie always remember like when Tim Curry shows up <laughs> because it's so weird and it's pretty much the best. Yeah. Um, it's if you guys haven't seen that movie, I think the entire thing is actually on YouTube. Probably. I, highly recommend it especially now that halloween is not too too far away well it's it's september which basically means halloween's about to start anyway um according i've been counting down the days until (laughs) september 1st Uh, i heard target may have gotten all their halloween stuff in so guess where i'm going after this for sure oh i used to i used to work for rite aid when i was in college and it i think it broke my heart when i saw in august like all the christmas stuff already showing up yeah you're like no yeah i want my house I want it now. There was just be me saying they're going like this is wrong on so many levels. Why are we? Why? Why? Now they had done Halloween in March. I would have been like, okay, cool. I'm yeah. 
I'm good with all Halloween stuff. Like, I basically, uh, there's a documentary that I've been wanting to see, which is all about the Haunted Mansion. Uh, oh, cool. At Disneyland? Yeah, like, I started following the, the documentary makers on Twitter, and so I, I think I want to get them on the show as well, because I would love to pick their brain. You know, I just want to talk about the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah, it's like uh, whenever I've gone to Disneyland, uh, which is very infrequent because of you know living in Washington, but it's it's always the Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, and uh, you know the Indiana Jones ride if it's not too long. Yeah, yeah, uh, the Haunted Mansion is probably my first stop too. For sure. Um, I love it all year round, but I especially love the Nightmare Before Christmas one. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a nerd in that respect, Yay. too. Yeah, my uh, my sister's uh, son, my nephew, is he's only nine months, but we're, like, all getting super excited for Halloween and Christmas and, and everything just because, like, okay, now we get to dress him up in weird stuff, and we also get to show him yep. all the movies that we love watching, so here we go. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have kids, but my friends that do, I'm like, how do you even pick one costume? I'd have, like, eight. Mm-hmm. Have them up hourly, just to, like, get them on. Oh, no, she's, uh, yeah, my sister's been sending uh, pictures uh, via text message to my mom and I, which just, like, different costumes you can put infants or uh, almost year-olds in. And it's just like, yeah. why not all? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's not like we're going to actually go trick-or-treating. We're just going to dress them up, take some pictures, and then it's probably yeah. it. It's not- there's 24 hours in a day. Yeah. You can make this up. For sure. And then it's just like plenty of blackmail stuff later for when he's older. And you're like, look when you were a garden gnome. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> it really is. I'm so excited. He's not even my kid, but I get to dress him up too, so. Yeah. Okay. No, doesn't matter. I, there'll be like neighbor kids walking around. I'm like, you're the cutest. And I want to give him hugs, but yeah. <laughs> then that becomes kind of a tricky situation with the parents, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do, I save up. We get comps, um, like free copies of comics that we work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my thing is, I don't remember who introduced me to this, but so basically I take all the kids' ones and I just throw them in a box. And so I'm the house that gives out comics every year. Oh, that's uh, so cool. Yeah, yeah, I highly recommend it. Uh, no, I have to think about that. I mean, there's there's not a lot of kids in our neighborhood, I mean, really. So we get very infrequent trick-or-treaters, but yes. that's a great idea, actually. I do give out candy as well. I'm not a monster. Oh, good. Um, but yeah, candy and comics is pretty much the best uh, combo of all time. Which means your house will never get egged, never get TP'd. You're good. Theoretically. Theoretically. Yeah. yeah. The the teenagers might think differently, but the little kids yeah. will be like, man, this is the greatest house ever. Let's never leave. Totally. Totally. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean... I was trying to think. Oh, so you guys are, are based in, in San Diego. So what is, what is it like for you when Comic-Con rolls around? Oh, it's delightful. No, um, I'm sure. It's good. I mean, I grew up here, so I started going to Comic-Con in, like, the mid-90s. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's changed so much. And, you know, I work and know people who have been going since the 70s and the 80s, and I can't imagine how different that is too mm-hmm. um it's weird because at the end of the night uh you go back to your house with like dirty dishes and <laughs> a cat to feed um so it's kind of weird to have like one foot in con mode and one foot in real life mm-hmm. um like when we go to new york comic-con or whatever you kind of stumble from 
the convention floor to dinner to a bar to a hotel room and so you're kind of able to stay in that headspace mm-hmm. uh, like I basically tell my non-comic friends like well I'll see you in the end of July <laughs> like and I kind of just try and stay in con mode as much as possible mm-hmm. uh, but you know it's, it's weird too because you're in such a small area of downtown San Diego yeah which in general no one ever goes to like locals don't go there on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm so I always tell people, like, please come back to San Diego, not during the convention, and see everything our wonderful city has to offer. <laughs> Yo, when- there's so much cool stuff going on that has nothing to do with the gas lamp quarter. Um, but it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense to try and leave the gas lamp quarter um, during the convention itself. I get it. Like, yeah. No one wants to go far away for food or booze. But there really is so much more to San Diego than just that little area. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it can't be easy to get around either when you've got. I mean, it's just. I I don't. Has it reached? Mil, is it millions of people, or is it still just in the hundreds of thousands that are kind of? Um, who knows? I, it's, it's so weird because um, you know, there's the count of how many tickets there are, but then you factor in all the support staff, and you factor in the fact that like there's the convention, but now it really has spilled out into the downtown area. Mm-hmm. So you can pretty much go and have the Comic-Con experience at this point and never enter the convention floor because um, there's so much going on. And that's what a lot of people do, a lot of locals too, is they literally just hop in an Uber to downtown and just walk around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how you could possibly count all those people too. That's for, No, that's true. And... Because I always, I always think about, like, maybe I'll make the actual, like, effort to go to San Diego because it, it seems like it's the, the the mecca situation. But at the same time, like, I'm good with handling the crowds that are in, like, Seattle and Portland because yeah. they're a bit smaller. And going to San Diego just sounds like, at least now, it sounds like it would just be a, almost a nightmare for that kind of, like, social anxiety it's, disorder. It's rough. I, I try and tell people, like, if you're a comic there are better shows out there for you. If mm-hmm. you're going to San Diego Comic Con, you're going for like the full multimedia insanity experience. Yeah. Uh, because so many people, chances are you're not going to get into the panels you want to see. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you kind of just have to go for the experience and go along for the ride and not have um, too many like, oh my god, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to be heartbroken, because it's just, it's too much, unless you're one of those people that does stand in line for Hall H, mm-hmm. uh, but then I feel like if you're standing in line for Hall H, you're missing out on so much other cool stuff, Yeah. Uh, so it's hard, especially from a comics point of view, you know, I love all the multimedia stuff, I love all the movie stuff, it's really cool, but comics definitely um, take a back seat, unfortunately, um, so there are there, there's so many great shows in America and in the other parts of the world. If you can go to San Diego, that's cool. But I really hope that people are definitely taking this opportunity of it being so crowded and so crazy to search out some really awesome regional cons that maybe will help kind of scratch that itch of the big, like everyone's in cosplay and it's all really cool. And look, there's a celebrity mm-hmm. that also have a love for the comic book medium and the people who make it possible, who are there to sell you some cool stuff so they can make some money. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, 
Yeah, uh, I was explaining this to my sister one time because with Emerald City, as as it gets bigger and bigger, you know, the lines get longer, and um, I tend to stay away from the panels now because it's like there's I know more people who are in Artist Alley at this point, so it's like I can just get more bang for my buck walking around the floor. It's a bummer, it's a bummer because, like I said, when I started going to San Diego in the '90s, the nice thing was is you'd get your look at what's going on for the day and you'd be like oh I've never heard of that or oh that sounds kind of interesting and Mm -hmm. you just go to the panel and that's how I learned about so much cool stuff where now it's like you have to make an appointment and get there five hours early and drink (laughs) snacks Um, (laughs) so I think it doesn't expose you to as much cool new stuff uh, in the way that you used to be able to just kind of cruise around and learn about new stuff no exactly Um, I mean there's always someone who's willing to wait longer than you are in a line and yeah. the thing I've discovered about myself is, like, I'm not willing to sit in a line for, you know, two to three hours just to get into a panel where I'll be at the back of the room, most likely. Okay. So it's okay. like, I'd rather walk out on the floor and meet some artists who I've never met, talk to the people I do know, pick up some stuff, and that's a con for me. Yeah, and that's why Emerald City is so great, is because that, that uh, the artist alley is so deep with amazing talent. Um and, you know, I'm sure people get tired, but everyone I've found has been very approachable and are really there to meet and interact with the fans, and that's a cool way to get exposed to something that you might not know, too. Mm-hmm. I just miss the panel aspect of, you would go, and it would be, like, a bunch of different artists, and they'd be, like, bouncing ideas off of each other, and it would be, like, a really funny, good time, but... Mm-hmm. I think, unfortunately, those days have passed. Yeah, the the experience of an actual, like, conversation amongst, um, you know, peers, basically, within the comic book industry is is more difficult to be a part of now because it's like the panels have such long lines depending on who's on the panel, and it's usually, like, one or two people that bring all the, the, the boys to the yard, basically. Um, yeah. and, and you just have to keep waiting, waiting, waiting when all this other stuff is happening around you that you could be experiencing... Yeah. you know and yeah, would be worth your time I've been on some really interesting panels but they were either scheduled against a really huge panel or didn't have like one marquee name and then there's like five people in the room mm-hmm. um, and that's still interesting to do and I'm still happy for those five people but um, it's a bummer yeah no I mean what do you think uh, for being in the the industry that you are like what do you think is the big conversation that we should be ha- having right now in comic books Oh, God, I wish we could do a panel that's basically titled How to Make Your Friends Read Comics. Mm. Um, you know, that's that's basically my number one thing is getting people to read comics that um, maybe haven't read comics before. Mm-hmm. Or finding a way to get the people who came because they, like, love the Deadpool movie or whatever, and then the panel might be like, if you love the Deadpool movie, read these comics, or just something like that to kind of help bridge the gap between the huge success of, of superheroes and fandom, you know, the growing fantasy and, and all of that kind of stuff in fandom and actually getting people to buy and read the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I can ever figure out how to crack that nut, that'll be, <laughs> that'll be my panel. So I, I will come to that panel. I'll, I'll moderate it for oh, you if you want. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> so be standing there and be like, guys, read more comics. Get your, yeah, bring your know. friends. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Just like throw comics into the audience, like here, read this. We'll have a twenty-minute reading period. I've done that. I'm fine. 
I will bribe people to come and ask questions with free comics. I am not above that. Hey, I mean, um, whatever gets people through the door is pretty much what works. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because especially with IDW, I mean, do you feel like you have more of a foot in the door because you have existing IPs that can generate more interest, or do you feel like it's still still the I same? I think it's a foot in the door, um, and that's kind of one of the reasons that I like uh, licensed comics so much, mm-hmm. is that I think, especially for people, you know, women um, who maybe don't know comics that well, they might be really into Orphan Black. Um, and then they're like, oh, wait, there's these orphan black comics. And then, you know, once you get people exposed to the medium, maybe that's the toe in the door that they need to just kind of dive into comics uh, as, as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do kind of think of them as uh, entry entry comics. Um, but to me, that's even more important than that we make them really great so people um, come back and read more. Yeah. Yeah, it's always... Because I have friends who dabble in comics who they're they're, I mean and I think it's always how it kind of starts off you're like yeah I'll read a one or two of these or read one or two of those but it's like trying to get them to come back for the more I I feel like sometimes the more experimental comics are almost worth your while in a lot more ways because they can show you how the medium can change and how it's it's there's a fluidity to it that you don't always get in in other mediums I feel yeah no definitely um so I think that means for a lot of people, they're going to probably buy the trade mm-hmm. uh, just because, you know, a lot of people just want to buy one thing and have it rather than come back to the store every Wednesday or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just finding ways to meet that audience where they are uh, and be able to sell to them where they are is really important to me. Yeah, it was. I was having this conversation uh, last week with with a, a previous guest on the show, and it was. It's about the the dynamic of trade buying versus single issue buying, um, because that's that's strangely enough. I didn't think I would feel this like uh, passionate about it, but I do because I like the aspect of trades more than the weekly buy, you know, or weekly or monthly buy of a single issue, um, because it's a complete story that you're purchasing versus you know. A, an eventually complete story. Yeah, and I just look at the way people are with Netflix or whatever. If it's not, if it's not top tier um, things like Game of Thrones, people binge watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense that they would want to binge buy. Um, the problem is that is um, death on a platter for a lot of comic series because yeah. they live and die by the single issue orders at this point. Um, so what I'm hoping as an industry we can move to is not just live and die based on these single shoe orders. It's more of a long tail of factoring in, um, you know, the digital is never going to be a replacement or at least isn't right now, mm-hmm. but also doing, um, and doing projections on what the trade sales are going to be like and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's. It, yeah, and it's easy enough to say, like, I like buying trades more than, than single issues, but then, yeah, you have to kind of factor in, like, what does it mean if you only buy trades versus, you know, and, and what does it do to the industry itself if people yeah. start going with that philosophy? Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's hard, too, because, like, people want things on an incredibly accelerated schedule, mm-hmm. um, and... There's a person on the other end of these comics, especially the artists, 
they can only draw so fast. I mean, <laughs> you know, a page a day is kind of the industry standard. That's a lot of work, mm-hmm. and that still is a lot of time. Um, so I, I just really hope that people remember the people on the other side who are actually literally doing the blood, sweat, and tears work of making these comics for them. Yeah, I mean, and that I think that's still one of those those hurdles, you know, with, with uh, Twitter and even some, to some extent, like Tumblr or whatever, you can kind of see the process happening, but it's, yeah. I feel like it's very hard for, for a lot of people who aren't as well versed in comics to understand like the actual process of making a comic book is not, it doesn't, it's not like you just birthed a comic and it's already like fully formed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, a 20 page comic, um, which is our standard comic book length, Mm-hmm. You know, there's 30 days in a month, and, uh, you know, these are monthly comics that we're working on, too. Um, that math does not add up, yeah. uh, especially when you start factoring in all the people that touch it, including the production artists and the colorists and the letters who you don't want to have to skip on time, but unfortunately a lot of times they do. Like, mm-hmm. math really does not add up after a while, so... Um, well, and also the, a, the human factor of, like, if someone gets sick or an injury happens or whatever, I mean, that throws your timetable off it, to... Or Like, everyone always tries to plan for Christmas, and it never works out. <laughs> functions, or, you know, a lot of times artists will make um, a fairly decent amount of their income doing commissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your, your artists need to be able to eat, pay rent, and raise their family. So it's, it's a, a big balancing act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's still, yeah, other than the other big conversations, it's always, the, the, the bigger issue is always like, look, these are people that need to live their lives, but also need to work for a living. And yeah. those two things start to overlap with each other because of how, you know, high the demand sometimes is on them. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if people are used to just the idea of like, the creative things that they consume be it video games or films or whatever, they still take a decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. But there's also usually at least at least a hundred, if not hundreds, of people working on one single vision. And a lot of times with comics, it's literally like five people. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it is a very challenging medium, but I also think it's the coolest medium. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what's what's been exciting you the most lately about? like the comic book industry or even just what you're working on at IDW right now? Uh, I think one of the things that is exciting me the most about the comic book industry is now that there are, there's comics now about like everything. I just read um, Spinning by Tilly Walden at First Second Mm -hmm. and it's beautiful memoir um, all centered around figure skating. Um, Or, you know, I just read, um, a manga called, I think it's called Delicious in Dungeon or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's literally a manga about some people, some RPG, well, like actual adventurers going into a dungeon, but they don't have any money. So the entire manga is about finding and cooking things to eat in a dungeon. <laughs> um, I just kind of love that now people, I think, are really coming around to the idea of comics as a medium rather than just a superhero genre. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and looking at the success of March, really important works uh, with deep historical significance, um, the more that I think the world at large can see what comics have to offer 
and it isn't just like, oh, I want to read Spider-Man. Wait, where do I even start? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what's really exciting to me right now. Yeah, it's... It's so interesting, yeah, like how the the genre is also turning into more of an autobiographical one as well. Uh, not not just with March, which was you know, beautifully done, by the way. Like you know, congrats to to your company and also to uh, you know just the the story itself is so powerful and moving. Um, but you know, seeing uh, like I loved um, Perse- uh, Persepolis. Persepo- oh shoot, God, Persepolis. Yes, God. So, Knockwood, Knockwood, it'll just get more people reading comics, which is my end goal. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, it's another means of telling stories, it's another avenue to do it, it's also, in some ways, maybe more accessible to people who, uh, you know, uh, sometimes artwork is helpful in, you know, for people when they're reading a book or a story or anything, and to be able to, I mean, especially for the artist to capture those emotions uh, is incredibly, you know, uh, impactful, I guess, for a lot of people. Yeah. And also, something that's really important to me is um, for young people, uh, especially if they're not, like, if they think that they're not good readers or their readers isn't fun, comics are such a great way to kind of visually bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's why comics for kids are especially important. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I still think about, like, okay, my, my nephew's only nine months. When can I conceivably start getting him into comic books? Um, no. I yeah. say no. No, but, that was good. You might just chew on it that's, right now, but, you know, it's a start. It's very true. I mean, uh, uh, he was actually yeah. chewing on a, a book of mine the other day, and I took a picture of it. It's like, he's already devouring books. Aww. Perfect. But, yeah, if you just get kids, if you get it in front of kids, I think they take to the visual style so easily. Kids pick up everything. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think it just helps them get that book in their hands, or even the iPad. I don't care what way they read the comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's them reading, and then, because we're going to need a whole a whole new generation of creators, so let's get them started now. Yeah, get them thinking about, like, how they would do a comic, and then, like, oh. I, I love, like, when children start, drawing and they start like creating these you know their own worlds in their own heads and it's like that's that's what we need we need you to come up with that weird ass story and turn it into a thing yep because you know i've been doing this like 11 years now Mm -hmm. like all right some of those kids in like five to seven years well even so i go i go out to um the savannah college of art and design about once a year Mm -hmm. for their editor's day and i'm just looking around and i'm like I believe the children are our future. Like, it's all young people. It's all young ladies. Um, and I'm just so excited to see what they bring to the table. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think that's that's one of the, for me especially, like, that's one of the most exciting things is that you're just, like, waiting for for that next generation to come through and be like, this is where we're taking the, the genre. And you're like, yes, go there. Yep. yep. And the nice thing is, since the internet exists, they there's no... The nice thing is that there's no um, third party that they have to go through. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge for them is going to be finding ways to monetize it for them so they can, you know, live. But I think people are already starting to figure that out, whether it's through Kickstarter or, um, you know, other ways of, of uh, crowdfunding on the Internet. Um, but I would love to find a way to take that and make it even one, one more step 
of stability for them. Mm-hmm. So hopefully there's a happy medium between full-on traditional publishing and making sure that these people who might make a niche product, but if they can connect that niche product to enough people um, that really love it, then then they should be okay. Yeah. No, I mean, those are those are the things that just make it kind of just more fun, you know, for the, the genre itself, where you're just like, I want more, and I don't even want to classify it as weird, but I just want more that isn't what I've traditionally no. read. I mean, the way, the way that I've said it is like, I love Batman, but I'm kind of good on Batman. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need someone to create, like, Bat-Dude or whatever. Like, <laughs> I want to be really new and exciting stuff. The mm-hmm. stuff that's going to build for the next hundred years. Yeah. The stuff that has the same kind of cultural significance as someone like Batman. But I'm good on Batman. Yeah. Now, so. I, think, I think I've got Batman down. Pretty pretty aware of yeah. how his origin works out. Yep. Yeah. Seen that plenty of times. <laughs> it's like it's like Spider Man. Like I'm I'm fine with the character. He never really spoke to me in the way that he's spoken to other people. But it's just like I know his origin now. I'm I'm good. I don't need yeah. to see that ever again. Thank you. The funny thing is though, when you think about it from a giant corporate standpoint, like there is something to be said with the constant reboots because you're always going to be talking to a new group of kids. Mm-hmm. Because they'll be like, oh, Spider-Man, that's old person stuff. And then they reboot it for that generation and then it feels like they're Spider-Man. And I'm kind of going through that right now with Star Trek mm-hmm. because, you know, I love TNG so much. Yeah. And I know everyone has their own Star Trek. And now we have Discovery. And and people really poo-poo the movies, the recent movies and stuff like that. But the more people I talk to, is like, maybe those those Chris Pine, Kirk, mm-hmm. that was their first Kirk. Yeah. And that for a lot of kids, Discovery will be their first Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And so even though it's super different, and I'm sure when TNG came out, People were like, this is stupid. <laughs> this is like, you know, the original series or whatever, but look how much it meant to me. Yeah. Um, when how many people are like, Jean-Luc is my captain, like, all the way. Yeah, my captain. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always keeping in mind that, like, you're not the only person who this might be aimed at, and that's okay. Um, Wait, like, are you saying, Sarah, that the world does not revolve around me? Exactly. Like, I really have no desire to ever see that Suicide Squad movie. Yep. But I also realize that I, that movie was not made for me. Like, oh, yeah. That made for the young people of the world, you I, know? Like, I even question that. I don't know who that movie was really made for. <laughs> like, don't know either. But, you know, something like that. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't always have to be made for me. Yeah. At least I can view it through the lens of like, oh, maybe this is aimed at a generation that is is not my generation, but that's okay. Yeah, I guess. I guess when you put it intelligently and logically like that, it makes sense. Whatever. Yeah. No, I still good. Like yeah. good transcends any generation, but mm-hmm. uh, it is sometimes hard. It, it feels kind of gatekeepery sometimes to be like. If it's not Jean-Luc, it's trash, and that is just not reality at all. Yeah, and then all the Cisco people come out, and they're like, uh, pardon? And then there's the Janeway people. And <laughs> that says, not Jean-Luc, it's trash. Um, but we don't actually believe that. There we go. <laughs> You're just going around like, look, Earl Grey tea, hot, is the only answer to any of your questions. It's, it's like you said, like, if, if DS9 
my first Star Trek, Cisco would have been my guy because I love him. Mm-hmm. He's like the best. But I have that nostalgic attachment to John Luke. Uh, and there's just something about that nostalgia. Like, you cannot beat it in a lot of ways. There's nothing that really overcomes it. Like, I was not allowed to watch Star Wars as a kid. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so, like, I've watched Star Wars. I watched in high school, finally. Mm-hmm. And I like it, but I don't have that, like, nostalgia drive attachment. And I never will. It's just something you can't replace. No, for sure. Uh, I actually, went, after I saw Force Awakens, that was the, because I, I grew up with the original trilogy. You know, it was one of the ways my father and I would bond is that, you know, he would buy the, the rent the original trilogy, as well as the Indiana Jones trilogy, which is the only thing that exists. There is no fourth movie. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so we would buy those or rent them over the weekend and we would just watch them. So I had these attachments, but it wasn't until, you know, for me, when I saw Force Awakens that I felt like it was actually my Star Wars. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because it's like I wasn't born when the movies came out. I had to watch them secondhand, basically. And this is finally like, oh, I get to watch this, and oh my god, look at all of these amazing characters, and oh my god, it's so fun, and blah, blah, blah. And Boba Fett's not here being an idiot, and so... (laughs) So yeah, I, I totally, yeah, I get where you're where you're coming from with that, that, you know, once you experience something that so heavily you identify with and it feels like it's yours, it's really hard to let go of it in any other capacity. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's where comics can come in. Um, because maybe, you know, they're probably, I don't know this by any means, mm-hmm. they're probably going to be like another TNG movie. But probably. that's where comics can come in and um, kind of scratch that itch for you. Mm-hmm. And shift these characters that you love so much um, in a in a new different way. Definitely, yeah. Let's let's again part of the the, the new message that we're going to be expounding to the, the masses. <laughs> so yes, I agree. <laughs> but uh, we're we're at about the the hour mark, and uh, so before we go, uh, is there anything you would like to promote? Because this will be going out not this coming Friday, but the Friday following. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we've been talking about Star Trek, so I just want to promote the new Star Trek Discovery comic that's going to be coming out in October. Mm-hmm. Um, it directly ties into the series, so much so that I can't talk about it very much. Gotcha. Then to say that it's Klingon-based. <laughs> um, and I think this one's really special um, because it's written by Mike Johnson, who's my longtime Trek writer, but also Kirsten Beyer you may know from her really wonderful Voyager novels, but she's also a staff writer on the show. Oh, sweet. And so they've been giving us, like, full access to the show in a way that's going to make the comic really impactful and informative. Um, And we're just incredibly lucky because that does not happen very often. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have such a wonderful partnership with our friends at CBS uh, that we're really able to bake in these important things into this comic. Um, and then it's drawn by Tony Shastine, who's our longtime Trek artist. Um, so it's kind of like my Star Trek Discovery dream team um, getting ready with our first issue coming out soon. Excellent. Um, and then yeah. if people would wish to follow you or speak at you online, where might they do that? Yes, the Twitters are the best place. Um, <laughs> it's just my name, Sarah Gatos. Um, and always happy to nerd out and share cat pictures there. Yay! It's like all the time, all day, every day. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, you know, thank you so much for for doing the show. I'm glad we could do this because there was a few start and stops on this, but it was it worked out great. I'm so happy. 
Yeah, no, and um, are you going to any cons uh, up the Pacific Northwest side of things anytime recently? Well, I, I hope to go to uh, Emerald City. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next convention I have actually scheduled though will be New York Comic Con. Um, so that'll be in not that long from now, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird how you you figure when the con season starts, like how many of them are just coming, like boom, 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 boom. Yep, and then that'll be hopefully the last one. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, eventually we will meet up at probably Emerald City. So <laughs> I hope to see you there. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, uh, sorry. Thank you so much. Oh yeah. No, thank you. And 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 as always for that girl with the curls. Uh, Good night, everybody. Bye.